You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everyone, friends, listeners. We finally made it to issue 275. Raj, we're at the end. Friends, listeners? <laughs> you sound like a politician there for a minute. <laughs> Listen, Lend me I'm, your I'm, ears and your I, pocketbooks. I've been watching the news and I'm like, you know, I probably have a chance at this. <laughs> Not with me here. <laughs> so, yes, here we are, our final episode of the Comic Book Informer. Roger absolutely wanted to rip off the Band-Aid and then hide all the evidence. So we're actually recording a day early. What, like duct tape over a hairy arm? <laughs> It's not just the Band-Aid. <laughs> so in our last couple episodes, uh, as I said, we had a little bit of a plan here. Our first finale episode was looking at our past as comic readers. Our second finale episode was looking at a version of the present. So I figured the best way for us to sign off and leave our lasting legacy as comic podcasters is what do we want out of the industry going forward? You're trying to make it sound like you had a plan here all along. I totally came up with a plan three weeks ago. <laughs> all righty then. <laughs> Your show. You start. I figure we're going to start with the company that needs the most help in my eyes, and that's, of course, DC. We've... Not held back in our references to DC and the mess that we feel a lot of this stuff, a lot of that company is. So, I mean, first and foremost, there's just got to be changes from the top, right? We got, obviously, there are some editors that need to get out, but I, I think it's more like we, when you look at DC's ownership with the Warner Brothers conglomerate how it's just it's felt so much over the last few years that it's an ip farm as opposed to you know a creative endeavor and a lot of their decisions have just been okay how can we get the most money right now uh, going back with you know new 52 and then rebirth and all that it's just looking at it like from Dan Dio on down it's just I don't I don't see a spark there. I don't see I see some connections with like some favorite characters that they want to see succeed, but I don't see anybody really all that interested in the brand as a whole flourishing. I think it goes beyond that. I think it's also because there's there's not enough originality, which kind of plays in with what you're saying about needing some new staff and whatnot. The problem is is that without sounding pessimistic about it I don't think this will be resolved for quite a while yet simply because the people at the top are not that old they're not going to be let go they're going to be there for a very long time because it's not really that demanding a job in terms of hard <laughs> labor so it's not like they're going to keel over from a heart attack anytime soon so it's basically going to just be them sticking around and having this 
let's be honest, in some cases, a negative influence on what the, the what it should be, the studio should be. And I have a feeling that that will not you 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 can't just fire a whole bunch of these people or let them go as much as you would want to. They've got a certain amount of seniority there and some clout and maybe some secrets on other people. (laughs) Who knows? But they're not going to just kind of wipe the slate and start fresh with a new team, even if it's just to bring a few here and there or just a clean slate. I don't think that they'll do that. I honestly do not, which means that, again, we have got many, many more years of this stupidity going to, to keep happening. And, and again, just focusing on uh, Dan DiDio as well as Jeff Johns, you know, although Johns has moved into a more uh, brand central role outside of just the comics. I mean, he's still kind of like the lead creative force behind the, the general line still. It's with the two of them, they're both very fond of the history of comics. And that's, of course, a very good thing. You can't forget where you came from and in your quest for where you're going, but... Yeah, but I call Every bullshit time. on that. I call bullshit on that because look at how often they're rebooting the goddamn But But you see, everything. that's the thing. They, their, their plan for everything is, okay, let's turn back the clock. Like, even before New 52, like with Green Lantern Rebirth and uh, Flash Rebirth, which, of course, you know, they're being held up as the inspirations for the current Rebirth line. It was, okay, how do we fix this? And it's always put things back to normal. When they launched New 52, a lot of that was just putting things back to normal. They did it in a pretty half-assed way. But it was, okay, we need Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl, et cetera, et cetera, you know, getting things to what you know, is the the core concept of the DC universe. And then here again with, with Rebirth, it's all about, okay, all that new stuff we did and tried, yeah, we've decided it didn't work. So we're, again, we're going to rewind back to what we feel was a better time. I'm not, li- I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I haven't been reading any of the Rebirth stuff. Right now, I I had expressed my disappointment with Mm -hmm. the concept as a whole initially, so I held off on reading. I read a couple of the pre-rebirth, which I don't know what you would call that, prenatal. I don't know what it is. (laughs) And so I have no idea. Yeah, I've had a couple of glasses of wine and painkillers. This is going to be an interesting episode. Um, So I, I have no idea. But they just, they weren't that good. And there was no clear... No clear idea of what was prompting all this as well. Because, I mean, again, Flashpoint made sense in terms of that catalyst, Mm -hmm. which then led to everything being redone. That doesn't mean it was done well. It just means it made sense in terms of, okay, yeah, Flash screwed everything up. Of course, there's going to be repercussions of everything we're starting all over again. And then the, uh, whatchamacallit, the one just before with all the freaking planet, but pieces of the the world. Oh, the convergence Convergence thing? thing, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of get the impression that that's part of this because that's still trickling through in some issues I read now and again. Mm-hmm. So, and even then, you look at convergence; it was a lot of "Hey, here's some older interpretations of these characters that we want to reintroduce." Yeah, like hell, convergence Superman, if I'm not mistaken, is the Superman now because they killed off New Fifty Two Superman. Yeah, one of the Superman men is gone. I did read that because I was reading the Justice League and they're having a hard time dealing with this new Clark because it's not their Clark who died. And it's like, oh, for f- sake, give me a break. Just 
<laughs> like it, it's it's convoluted for the sake of being convoluted. It's not interesting and it doesn't always make sense. And so, yeah, I I, I don't have much love for what they're doing right now with the rebirth. And I think that based on what we have seen just in the last three iterations of a quote unquote rebirth from Flashpoint to Convergence to this now, it's not working. So they do need a new plan, but this ain't it. And it kind of ties into what my idea is, if I may, or do you have more to say? I I, I want to touch on Rebirth uh, just a little bit more. Did you read the actual Rebirth number one issue? I'm trying to remember if I did or not. It was the big like 70 page. Honestly, I don't remember. All right. Because that was the last DC comic I read. Right. Because I found it utterly distasteful. <laughs> To begin with, the core concept of how they're moving from the New 52 universe to the Rebirth universe is that there's a dark entity that has has sucked all of the life and joy out of the DC universe as some sort of perverse experiment. And that's why the New 52 is so awful. And come to find out, it's Dr. Freaking Manhattan from The Watchmen. Yeah. Which, first of all, that is stupid. (laughs) Second of all... Stop, please. Like <laughs> before Watchmen was such an utter atrocity and like it, DC's treatment of the Watchmen property for the last 30 years has been an example of just yes, they're sticking to the letters of the contract but not the spirit of the contract and there's a reason Alan Moore is such a broken twisted human being these days (laughs) because he's been screwed over by every company he's worked for dc marvel etc but it's you know i have an incredible fondness for the watchman as its own thing and inserting it into i mean first of all the before watchman was pure cash in and now inserting it into the core dc universe is just you know what it, it reminded me of? It turned the entirety of the DC franchise, with the exception, obviously, of, of Watchmen, into Deadpool characters. That they're being controlled by Manhattan, and it just made it feel very much like, like, like they're seeing themselves as comic book characters mm-hmm. and changing. That's what it felt like for me. It was a I was reading it, and I'm going, this could. This could easily be a Deadpool issue, like Mm -hmm. the way that it was handled. Now, I will say to its credit, it was a very well-made issue of a comic book. Like artistically, the things they did to call back to a lot of the previous stuff without straight up reproducing it and a lot of like the the little hints they did about the Watchmen reveal throughout it, like. It was a well-made comic book, but it doesn't make it any less stupid. But the thing that actually really bothered me the most about this, and I've seen very, very few people talking about this, is how it the, – the othering of Wally West and uh, specifically the new 52 Wally West who was a black kid, whereas the entire purpose of Rebirth is told from original Wally West's point of view – being you know a white kid and like there's 
a panel where he's explaining like how there's two Wally Wests, which I don't know if it's canon or not, but uh, apparently Iwis, I, Iwis, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Iris had a, a, a brother or a sister. So they each had a kid and both named it after their uh, grandfather or whatever. So there's a, there are two actual Wally Wests, a black one and a white one. But as he's explaining it and he's talking about, yeah, I always knew that other Wally was out there and the other was very strangely bolded in the text and it just it came off as really weird because especially again the entire point of this issue is forget about all that old stuff that we've done over the last few years we're making things right again and it just it felt very creepy and not right to me it felt very much like that's not the real one I'm the real one exactly yeah which is Again, people are clamoring for changes right now in course corrections because, as we've said time and time again, comics should not be any longer just a bunch of white, predominantly white dudes. It should have a a ton of different races, nationalities, religious affiliations, sexual orientations, you name it. And so here it felt very much like, yeah, we tried it. It's not working. We're going back to the way it was before. And what struck me about that was in thinking about Jim Lee and and mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure to put on one person. So I don't want to make it sound like I expect that much of just the one person, but I would think someone with that much clout there that is himself a minority would be pushing. I'm kind of wondering how much pull he actually has. I don't know see. because he should be pushing for more minority representation in comic books and yet it's constantly being taken away instead of added so like it just made me wonder a lot Mm -hmm. because no i noticed the same thing as you and it bothered me immensely but i'm at a point where it's not that i accept it but i'm done shouting about it for a while kind of deal so you said you had an actual plan for what you would like to see them do so please elaborate I got, hold on a second for wine first. <laughs> okay. I may not even edit that out. <laughs> Why bother? At this point, really, yeah. I should just release the episode as is. Screw it. Um, my idea was I started thinking about it because of all of the news with Suicide Squad. And yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> God, that was, an intro- that was a mess. <laughs> Don't ask DC fans that, though, man. They will rip you a new one if you dare say anything bad about it. Anyways, the the reason I was thinking about it more is not just because of how horrible the movie was, but they started releasing more information about potentially the reasons why as well. With the studio heads listening to the people's complaints about Man of Steel being too dark and then reworking suicide squad in so much as they could so they had two edits the one as it was meant to be by the director and then this one where they lightened things up and tried to change things and excuse me jesus that was a big gulp of wine. and it was so obvious in the final product you could almost see the actual thread stitching the two halves together okay good well i haven't seen the movie yet so again i'm going by what a lot of people are saying my point is is that what I think that they need, it kind of is is twofold. And, and 
one is the obvious comics and the other one is now the TV movies. Because mm-hmm. as we've seen with what Marvel is doing and to a certain degree what DC is doing with their 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 TV properties is that there's a lot of room for success there. And it can even eclipse comic book sales because it's just you, you are reaching so many more people. Like, I mean, Suicide Squad, for as bad as it is, is breaking records right now. So people are clamoring for it. So they need to do better. But that's just that's that's not just my point of doing better. They need to start looking at how they want to present their media and accept that times have changed. Now, that doesn't mean that you completely give up on the paper comics. Of course not, because there's I cannot foresee a time when there will not be a place for that. It'll continue to dwindle, but it's always going to be there. Step one of my plan for DC is get an unlimited digital app like Marvel has. I'll go you one further because it, that was my initial thought is I I put thought into and this. Much. <laughs> I actually thought about this and came up with a plan that they can use. All right. What they need to do is and, – and the same goes for Marvel to be honest. They're doing far better in terms of how they're handling their comics to a certain degree. But still, it the same applies to both of them. They both need to come up with a new digital solution that is not just a subscription like what Marvel is doing, but a full-fledged, you get it now, none of this crap of waiting forever for it to show up, six months Mm -hmm. or whatever, but you get it now. But looking at it very differently, and I think what they need to do is draw inspiration from media outlets. Now, I thought of this as well because in an upcoming episode of Popcorn Ronin, we're going to be talking about Stranger Things. Now, Stranger Things was this cult phenomenon that happened on Netflix where all of a sudden that's all anybody was talking about. And it was glorious to watch it go viral. It's a simple eight hour long series. It's not long, but it's exceptionally well done, well acted. And it's just this boom. Here's this phenomenal adventure for you to go on, and then it's done. Now, it may come back for a second season. We'll see. There's kind of rumors that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that it will. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Even if it had only been this, I would still be ecstatic at what we got. And I know for a fact Mm -hmm. that you agree. Absolutely. And we're seeing more of that from Netflix with these series where they're telling the, the creators, how many issues do you want? Eight, 12, you tell us. You do whatever it is that's right for you. And we're seeing them working with Marvel for Daredevil. All these other defenders, Luke Cage is going to be coming, things like that. And we're seeing how that is exactly what people want right now, to be able to binge through whatever it is that they want. And I think that what both DC, Marvel, Image, whoever needs to really do is look at this business model of providing these little stories that don't have to fit into canon, that can just be this adventure, this story, this whatever, that is in and of itself. You can certainly continue to have your long-running series, but open up digital in a manner that is similar to Netflix, where it's a monthly subscription, but then you're having creators create 
a eight issue series of something that is completely out of canon, but wonderful nonetheless, well written, and that people can say, damn. That was a great story, and it doesn't matter that it's in canon with everything else or not. And I thought of it not just, again, because of of um, Suicide Squad, but I thought of it because as I'm looking at Suicide Squad and as I'm looking at the news today uh, about them working on Man of Steel 2, I'm sitting there thinking, why don't you just give us injustice? You know that's what we want. You know an well, injustice movie if here's, well here's done. Hold on. Let me, at least let me finish while I'm okay, still okay. conscious enough to, to remember what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but if you give us a injustice movie, I can assure you people will not give a rat's ass that it doesn't follow canon because uh, Man of Steel and freaking Batman v Superman didn't either. So it's not going to matter. It's entirely canon that their moms are named Martha. Oh, yeah. But it would just be this fantastic summer blockbuster of heroes killing heroes, fighting against each other, having this epic, epic adventure. And it doesn't matter if it fits into canon. And I mean, I say a movie, but they could just as easily do a Netflix type of thing where it's eight, ten episodes that is this glorious story arc that is what we've seen in Injustice. And it's just this idea of, again, presenting media differently now because the times are different. Stop trying to reboot all of your brand all the time. Fuck that noise. What you need to do is, yeah, concentrate on the few things that you want to keep going because you care about issue numbers, but also up to, uh, open up this subscription service where you get tons of new people and, and you're not losing anything by bringing in something someone new that could be a minority could be someone who is trans gay who cares as well as other creators for for art and things like that and try boom eight issues what did you lose there and then look at the metrics as in terms of how well it did i think that's the future of comics. And I think whoever is the first one out of the gate to do it properly will be the one that leads the the industry in that regard for quite a while, actually. Yeah, I, it's a, a fantastic idea. And definitely, like, if they, according to their, and I'm using they as being, you know, the corporate they, their words, you know, they don't want to cause this big shake up of, you know, bringing in minorities and whatnot to the the main comics because it it's not going to sell. That's always the thing. Like, oh, every time we try, it doesn't sell. But I would argue that they don't actually try all that well. Damn right. So yes, it, giving it a, a a lower stakes outlet and then I guess that if it works it you might have something there but if it doesn't work you know you still may, you know major subscription bucks i'm sure everything is going to have its fans no matter how garbage a comic is it's always going to have some <laughs> listen if they are thinking if they were to do this kind of thing and it's a brand new kind of thing i mean uh, cuz again i'm not thinking just in terms of a subscription service like they have mm-hmm. no 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 this is a groundbreaking new shift in how you would present comics for your readers and what you would allow. 
excuse me, holy, and it's the, I had egos for supper. <laughs> 11 would be so proud of me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I think that they have the opportunity then to work with the creators in a different way in terms of what contracts they offer. That isn't to mean screw creators, be fair with them, but do much more of a profit sharing than they normally would do. And in this regard, then they take a chance on once again, go to the minority or whatever and say, okay, let's see what you can do. The series does well. Fantastic. Everybody's done well. They can continue to feel good about, Hey, let's take on more of these. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that it failed. It might just have been a bad story or not one that reached enough people or not marketed enough. It could be any number of things, but they haven't lost a ton by doing that. And so then they just keep trying with new ones. If they were to offer something like that, I can almost assure you that there would be a lot of people, a lot more submissions for publication because people would be far more open to the the opportunity to do something. I mean, Jesus, me, if they were to open something like that, I would probably come up with something and pitch it. Find an artist and work on a series of, you know, whatever, 8, 12, and just see how it would work out and see if it could be accepted. And I mean, I'm not a minority, so that kind of blows my little analogy there, but you get what I'm saying. I think that it mm-hmm. would open up the field to a lot more creative people to take a chance and approach them and try something different. Because if I had the opportunity to write a non-canon story where things were either insanely gritty or mix and match characters that you wouldn't normally get or do any number of things, as long as it's not too out in left field kind of thing, that they can accept it and roll with it. Jesus, you could have a ton of fun with that. It's Mm -hmm. essentially fan fiction done right. And they have a number of immensely creative people already on staff. Like one of their lead writers right now is Tom King. They, 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 it was a big deal when they announced him to a DC exclusive deal. Uh, we talked about him not that long ago. He's a dude that wrote vision, very creative guy. <laughs> and he's the lead writer on Batman, but no matter how good or creative he is, there's always going to be a limit to what he can do with Batman in the published Batman yep. title. Yep. Look, Scott Snyder, Scott Snyder's Batman was phenomenal. At the same time, it's also the least creative thing I've ever seen him write. As great as it was, there are just so many chances that he could not take because he's writing Batman. He has to deliver a, a certain amount of you know, brand recognition with that. Well, there's the where, guidelines. There's yeah. an actual Batman guidelines. I actually have the PDF for that in terms of the rules that you have to follow when you're writing a Batman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you basically need something like when with uh, Greg Rucka coming in for uh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Greg Rucka is essentially was essentially given full editorial control of Wonder Woman, and a lot of that was him coming in. And Wonder Woman has been traditionally edited by the Superman office and going, "I'm not working with that guy. <laughs> if you want me to write Wonder Woman, and you know you want me to write Wonder Woman, we're going to do it my way." Like we saw that with. Essentially, the writer for a comic fired the artist doing variant covers. So (laughs) 
not everybody's going to be a Greg Rooka and be able to walk into DC's office and get whatever they want, but there has to be other avenues for the talented people they have to to do more. Yep. So that that's that's a strong strong option, but ultimately whatever path they take, be it digital, print, graphic novels, whatever they do, the most important thing I need from DC personally is just new. <laughs> yeah, but that applies keep, to both. Yeah, you you can't keep holding up this legacy of years and years and decades of what these characters represent. Times change. The the way we as readers perceive a lot of these things change. And yes, if you do make certain changes and take things too far off brand, you will lose readers. It's going to happen, but you're also going to gain them. And that's what's important. Like you cannot exist as a company by just holding on to what you have, because for whatever reasons, attrition, it, that audience is always going to get smaller. Even if it's by small percentages, you're going to lose that core audience that you're holding on to too tightly and then when you turn around, there's not going to be anybody else there for you. See, the problem is that they're they're short-sighted in terms of they're looking at who that core audience is. And that core audience is getting older and is, for the most part, more secure in their positions, work-related, have more disposable income to spend. They're not forward-thinking enough to think, well, what's going to happen when those die out? And when you are running this kind of conglomerate, you have to be planning 20 or 30 years ahead. You can't just be planning for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah, these, you know, dudes aren't going to be kicked out of their basement anytime soon. We're fine. That's not how it works. So you want to be bringing in those younger audiences, which nowadays is far more equal in terms of gender boy versus girl and as well a lot more minorities as well we can look no further than the success of Kamala Khan in in Marvel as well as um, Miles and things like that that have quickly become fan favorites to understand that we're not just blowing smoke here this isn't just like oh yeah we really do want minorities quote unquote no no it works the sales prove it so i think that they need to understand that and be far more forward thinking and in so doing it will actually result in better sales for certain titles as well and then going back to my idea again of the 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 the, the digital print where you're taking chances you also have the option when a series does do exceptionally well that you had not planned about, you've got all the mechanics to make it happen, to make this then a printed graphic novel as well. Renegotiate the contract with the the creative people, put out or add that as part of the original contract. If it gets X amount of downloads, you then will look at a graphic novel release and then do that as well. That way you're also still honoring the history of comics on the printed page. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we can close out the DC segment here with the most obvious thing they can do to improve. Put the TV people in charge of the movies. Oh God. Yeah. I literally, you were saying, oh, that's it. I was going to say, I'm not done. We're talking about <laughs> Berlanti needs to be in charge of everything that is 
video-related, be it movies or TV. Now, that doesn't mean he has to be overseeing every single aspect of it, but he needs to be an executive producer on everything. And when you find other people that are as intelligent and as good as this man is at their job, you need to do the same with them because a Berlanti flash movie would be something that I think people would line up the night before to see. I think that a Berlanti Legends of Tomorrow even, which is not their strongest, but do it into uh, as a movie with this epic time-traveling story with these misfits, I think would do exceptional. There's a lot of different things that could do well, and he's proven he's got the chops to do it. So you need to put these types of people in he's charge of movies. proven he's better at casting. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, geez. I mean, yeah. There, I, I, there's a very brief cameo in Suicide Squad by the movie Flash, and I, I, I almost literally put my hand over my face when he came on screen. Well, apparently Snyder directed those parts, and they did it in such a way that nobody else knew that that was A, being done, and B, going to be in the movie. So, again, that's... In theory, okay, that's a cute idea to try to save a surprise. Mm-hmm. But honestly, we don't care about surprises. We just want a good movie. And if you're segmenting different scenes based on who's directing it, based on who you want to know this is going to be in the show, you're setting up failure right there. That's that's just not a good idea. It was completely superfluous. <laughs> Every character in the movie got two to three introductions. So that was just one of the introductions for one of the characters. Yeah. I, again, I see, we don't have to look any further than have you started playing yet the Telltale Games Batman? Uh, Unfortunately, no. Okay. So I started it and I got maybe an hour in, maybe a little bit more. But it was one of those yet again where I was like, see, you put it in the right hands, you can do really good stuff. And I'm not even done yet. And it's about who you put in charge of your IPs. And just because a certain person has been around a hell of a long time with you guys does not mean they should be in charge of everything. Maybe even take away some of their <laughs> access, slowly kind of relegate them to maybe one series. And then people can either ignore that or continue reading it. But take chances and accept that much like the music industry, much like even the movie industry, the the book industry, you have to accept that the times are changing. And this idea of constantly wanting to bring people in by rebirthing your entire franchise just so that you can get more people buying paper comics is a losing proposition that's leading to poorly written events and, and everything. It just doesn't work. So you need forward-thinking people that are going to come up with new ideas that you can then roll with and do well. And I, again, I cannot stress this enough. I, I think the idea of a Netflix type of subscription-based thing where you open it up and allow people to have a lot of fun with it. And, and I'm, I mean, it's not like anything will be done because you're still going to have creative control of what goes in there. But you can certainly have a lot more fun with different things. And I think that, again... It, Think of it this way. If we're looking at a subscription base that was anywhere from, you know, 
five to let's say eight dollars a month for DC. Without a doubt, right from the get go, I would subscribe. But let's just say I'm I'm worried about money and, and mm, I'm not so sure. But then they announced there's going to be this epic 12 series run of a Batman story where he teams up with someone that you never would have thought of and <laughs> goes bad, somebody dies, whatever. And it's this epic story that's well promoted. Would you sign up on the spot just to read that? You give me my Batman Hell, Hell, uh, Hellblazer crossover, I'm in. There you go. And that's just one example of what can be done. And I think that when they look at the quantity of subscriptions versus charging too much just to get a few people, I think that they could do amazing things. And the same goes for Marvel. It's just that I think that DC is at that precipice right now that if they really, they worked hard at this and they made this happen and they got out of the gate first, I think they could do great things. Because people right now are interested in Flash. People right now are interested in Green Arrow. People are interested in all of the people from Bat- uh, the Legends of Tomorrow, even though some people don't know who the f*** these people are other than just <laughs> What's have- a Rip Hunter? Yeah, really. What? Who is this guy? He's cool. I like his gun. That's good enough. And he's got an awesome jacket. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's all right. But that's enough. So then... Those are the people that you may be able to entice also to check out this subscription-based service that then offers these incredible adventures. Who cares if it's not canon? Boom. Have fun with it. Mm-hmm. There's All a right, mic that- in my hand and I drop it, but it's being hung by a boom arm, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the Marvel side of things, it's not like we're bashing on DC because Marvel's doing great because there's a hell of a lot Marvel needs to do to improve as well. Most importantly for me, slow the hell down. Every comic is being written in basically six-month chunks to get from the end of one event to the beginning of the next and... It, it's completely destroyed my willingness to read them regularly. I, I'll catch them when, when they're on Marvel Unlimited or when a paperback comes out because it's it's too much, too fast, and the quality of the stories is 100% suffering for it. There have been so many good concepts and good writers and good characters that just have not worked over the past couple years because – they're not being given the time to actually do what they need to do. The stories are moving too quickly. The plot is flying by too fast. Characters are doing things that seem very strange and out of character because, well, we don't have time to write the issue to explain why this happens. And Marvel has got themselves into this. I mean, this is nothing new. Marvel has been doing annual events for a long time, but they're at this point where every annual event is completely changing everything in one way or another. And all of the regular storylines have to stop every May or whenever it starts up. Whatever you're doing in your comic has to be done in the April issue because come May, you have to cross over into this big thing. And it's it's going back to what killed Marvel in the 90s where all this stuff – Everything had to cross over with everything. Everything had to tie into the main events. There's a reason people stopped buying comics, and it didn't just have to do with $7 hologram covers. 
the $7 hologram covers had crap comics inside of them. And it it was largely due to this brand synergy that they developed where everything had to be tied together. They allow these comics to be their own unique things. Do your big events. That's, you know, that's going to happen. But not – you don't have to do it all the time. Like sometimes you can do an event and go, you know what? We don't need Thor. Yeah, Spider-Man can take this one off. Just – tie in where it makes sense where it's relevant like um like spider island yeah or look when we first started up how much did we love shadowland yeah because it was an event and it tied into a handful of comics that it made sense to tie into spider-man moon knight you know stuff like that of course they're gonna interact with daredevil did you see the fantastic four showing up no so you need to get back to that idea of it's the characters that are selling the comics not the storylines i can look back at the last oh my god maybe half dozen events even and look at how it has affected my interest in events with marvel and i mean it's not pretty (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff that I thought at the time, okay, I'm not reading this because I am really not interested. And some of it, some different things I did force myself to read because of the comic or the podcast, podcast, I should say. But there's other things I just kind of gave up on. And I thought, no, I honestly, I don't need to read this because yes, it'll be referenced in other issues going forward, but not that much that I need to waste time and money on. Mm-hmm crap that i have absolutely i don't care about what secret was whispered in somebody's ear i I actually kind of care about that i don't i know you do but what i'm saying is i i did not at the time i thought it was a horrible plot device and i maintain that to this day and that's just one example this constant avx bullshit that we continue to see all the time is another yet one where I, I, I clock out. And so whenever these events come like this, I'm just like, I'll read the bare minimum that I have to for the podcast. And now that that's done, screw that. I'm not even going to bother anymore with most of the events because a lot of them are, like you said, they're, it's not just that it's horribly written because some aspects of it might be, some issues might be, some tie-in issues might be, you never know. It's the manner in which it's handled on an editorial uh, basis in terms of making sure that it's cohesive as a whole, making sure that the tie-ins make sense and that it's not just being thrown into whatever freaking series just because you're hoping that having the big bolded event title on the cover will sell more copies. And I think that that is a very, very dangerous thing because let's look at it this way. If the the massive events... And they've done a number of them. So we know what we're talking here in terms of being able to illustrate what constitutes a big massive event. So if a massive event only happened, you know, like the old freaking Olympics every three or four years kind of deal, (laughs) then they matter. Then Mm -hmm. you're like, 
oh, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see this because there's been so much character and story development in the, the individual series over the course of three or four years that you're like, damn, this is going to be great to see what they do. They might miss it, but you're far more excited. The, the moment it changes to once or twice a year, then it's no longer a special snowflake. It's just the way that it always is. It's just, mm-hmm. oh, here's another event, whatever. And you read it if you're interested. If not, who cares? So I think that they are are really missing opportunities because they're trying to always be at volume 12 versus understanding that most of the time people will want volume seven or eight. And then every three or four years, uh, let's crank it up to 20 and have some fun. And that's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can still do crossovers on a regular basis. If they're smaller scaled, like, Oh, what's, what's our summer thing this year? Oh, we have a cool storyline going on where Thor teams up with the guardians of the galaxy and Dr. Strange. Okay. You know, yeah, exactly. So That's awesome. Though. If you if you're if you're interested in those characters, you read the crossover. If you're not, you can still enjoy your Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and Avengers comics without worrying about it. Like, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Look back at the Black Mirror. Oh God! As <laughs> as atrocious as that was, this is a very all, thin line know, that you're walking across here, buddy. <laughs> As terrible as that comic was, all it affected was Guardians of the Galaxy and all new X-Men. So it wasn't a big line-wide crossover. It was a larger-than-normal storyline that, you know what, if it had been better conceived, written, drawn, and executed, you know what? Mirror as the villain? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Fine, because, you know, hey, cool. It's it's an important storyline for the Guardians and the X-Men. It's it's its own thing. I'll keep throwing out Shadowland. That was a very important storyline for Daredevil and the associated street level heroes. Didn't affect the rest of the universe. Yes, if you want to do like the big Secret Wars level crossover every couple years, that's a great idea. I fully support that because as much as I loved Hickman's Secret Wars because it just worked for me on a number of levels, I do hate what it did for the line. How it's shut down the entire publishing line for six months that – that was a net loss for Marvel of not doing their thing. Like team ups are the lifeblood of Marvel. It's what introduced the concept of the Marvel universe and a shared continuity amongst comics. It's never going to go away, but it's, it's too much right now. Absolutely too much. I agree. One other thing that's bothering me about Marvel currently On one hand, they're doing a good job of establishing more uh, gender equality and racial equality amongst the comics. Don't even get me started on LGBT characters because they almost functionally don't exist in the Marvel Universe. That's definitely something they need to work on. But A, it's like I was saying about uh, Bendis over in Spider-Man. Every time they do something good, they need to make sure we know they're doing something good. And it's – it. It makes their progressive changes to their publishing line seem like nothing more than publicity stunts. And listen, there's a good chance they are nothing more than publicity stunts, but that's how it feels. And especially you look at it right now, all of the top changes to the characters they've established, 
there's always the straight white guy waiting in their wings. We can't have a Miles Morales comic without also having a Peter Parker comic. We didn't have Sam Wilson for very long before we also had Steve Rogers. We had Jane Foster as Thor for a while, and now they're just getting ready to start publishing an, an additional Odin Son Thor comic. They made a big deal about Riri taking over as Iron Man, whereas in the other ongoing Iron Man comic, they're also publishing at the same time, starring Victor Von Doom. So whether intentional or not, there is a very clear message in my eyes that, yes, we're doing these things because we want to be seen as being good and right. And it's going to bring us in some extra readers. But don't worry, guys. Everything will eventually go back to normal. And yes, everything is going to eventually go back to normal. It's the nature of comics. But it's just a very awkward feeling right now. I don't think it has to go back to normal. That's the thing. And that's where you come back to, once again, having a an editorial staff that is not afraid to do a hard stand. And it's the same thing as DC in terms of I don't think – this is going to sound really pessimistic. I don't think in our lifetime we will see enough of a change. And and, I, and I'm just throwing that out there casually. I understand that that involves decades. Mm-hmm. I get that. And yet I still feel that that is the case. I, I think that in our lifetime we, we'll see incremental changes, but we're also going to see – the same for every two steps forward, you take three back or two back kind of thing. So you're never really getting ahead. In some cases, you're even going back. And I think that that's going to continue to happen because you have far too many people in positions of power that are unwilling to make the hard choices. And in this case, the hard choices means killing off beloved characters and leaving them dead reinvent yourself, reinvent different heroes. Because as it is going on, yes, we're seeing Khan, we're seeing Morales, we're seeing a few others that are going to push the brand forward with a little bit more minority representation. I think we need not just a trickle, but we need a tsunami of that going forward so that... As the brand, the Marvel quote-unquote brand continues to move forward, you then have a bench of powerful, well-loved characters that represent all aspects of life and not just white dudes. And I think that we need a lot of people in position of power to be willing to make the hard sacrifices to say, okay, Peter is dead. Peter's gone. He's gone the way of Uncle Ben. That's it. Yes, you love the character. And guess what? You can continue to love the character by buying all of the previous back issues that have all of his adventures. But from now on, it's Miles. And do that with other characters and introduce more characters so that you are flooding the market with new fantastic characters and slowly whittling away the ones that were created in a time when Mm -hmm. 
stoned creators were putting white guys or silver guys on surfboards, you know, <laughs> and that's what we need. And unfortunately, that's going to have to continue through to their their movie and mm-hmm. TV deals. And and I mean, Strange, Doctor Strange is the prime example of how bad things can get to piss off so many people. And yet they'll stick to their guns and go, no, Tilda's the right choice for this. And you're like, oh, we need people in power, positions of power that can slap these people upside the head and say, no, smarten the f*** up. This is how we're doing it. And... A lot of this ties into kind of what you said with DC, where the creators need to have a little more of a stake in their creations. Because I know for a fact that the creators at both companies are hesitant to put in the effort of creating and establishing a new character because they're not going to get anything out of it. If they're going to put in that time and effort they're going to take it over to image where they can profit off of that and have more control. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way you're going to get true creativity and newness out of the lines is by something fundamental in the comic publishing (laughs) hierarchy needs to change that to value the creators more. I'll go you one further. Right now, as it stands, both Marvel and DC seriously need to look at image, which I'm sure they are, but they need people with fresh eyes to look at Mar- at image and look at the success of various series at image and think, you know what? If we were to change the manner in which we accept submissions, the manner in which we are publishing different things, the manner in which we're forcing people to be tied and constrained by different um, shared world experiences that it has to take place in this canon and whatever, they might have been able to publish this and rework some contracts so that it's not so unjustly unfair to the creators, but that you both profit from it. And then you might have had the opportunity to do say a rat Queens at Marvel. Why, why the fuck not? It, it doesn't have to fit in the canon. You're a publishing company. You can publish whatever the hell you want. It what? doesn't have to fit in canon. It also says a lot that Marvel has, what the hell is the name of the publishing line? Icon, which is their creator-owned publishing imprint. And the only people that use it are Mark Millar and Brian Bendis because Image is offers a better deal. Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. And, <laughs> and that's the problem. So, like, I point at somebody like Kieran Gillen. Kieran Gillen told some phenomenally creative stories across X-Men and the Thor comics and whatnot. Really, really great stuff. I adored all of it. But he didn't do anything new. He just repurposed what was already there. Uh, the, the the closest he came to something new was uh, the character of Leah, which itself or herself was a derivative of Hela. So I'm not sure of the legalities there of whether he technically created a new character or not. But, you know, he got his paycheck from Marvel and then he put all of his time and energy into creating something like Wicked and the Divine, which is creatively one of the most unique things you'll see out there. Same thing, Matt Fraction, what did he do? 
he did amazing stuff with Iron Fist, with Hawkeye. Like, Hawkeye was a groundbreaking comic, but it didn't do anything new. It, it did things new, but it didn't create anything new. It used Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, Barney Barton, a, you know, a, 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 a who, uh, God, <laughs> an entire cast of NPCs that are irrelevant. But then he goes and makes Odyssey and Sex Criminals. Kelly Sue, look at what she did with Captain Marvel. God, yeah. One of the breakout hits of modern Marvel. Nothing new. The, the only new things were, you know, the supporting cast, you know, the ones that aren't going to be superheroes and sell comics. But then she goes and makes Pretty Deadly and Bitch Planet. Like, you're hiring the right people, obviously. You're hiring very talented, very creative people, but they have no incentive to give the full force of their creativity. And again, that also extends to DC, like what I said earlier about Greg Rucka and Tom King. They have no incentive to do anything truly creative for those companies because once their time is done, they're leaving all that work behind. Well, not just that, but it's funny because as you're talking, you can't see it, but I'm nodding like really big nods. It's like, yes. And it's not just that they are leaving it behind, but that they have forsaken any control over it as well. Mm -hmm. So what's the point then of coming up with brand new characters that the moment you leave are completely under your control? And yes, you have to work with the pub publisher to a certain degree. Obviously, yes, you do. And they have to share some of the ownership of said characters, certainly. But you can have a deal that's a lot more fair than what you're currently offering or not offering because nobody wants to take it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the problem. You look at uh, the Sandman characters that Neil Gaiman created over at DC. Those are DC-owned characters. Like, if DC wanted to, they could use the Sandman characters whenever and wherever they wanted. But as a courtesy to Neil Gaiman, they go through him to approve it. Now, why they don't extend that same courtesy to Alan Moore, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> but even then, he it, there's there's a bit of a partnership there. I forget the exact, you know, technicalities of the deal, but it's it's something. Like it's something he created for DC. He still has a partial stake in and DC still has a partial stake in. So it it can work. <laughs> it can work. It, they just choose not to because this is the way things have been done forever. And they don't want to lose a small amount of profits now. And when real is, realistically, they're probably losing out on a large amount of profits later by doing so. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, oh, probably touch on TV, movies. Uh, keep doing what you're doing for the most part. Yes, there are problems, stuff like you like said with uh, Doctor Strange, Iron Fist, missed opportunities. But I'd say by and large, especially in the TV division, they're doing a very good job. I mean, I am beyond hyped for Luke Cage, not just because I like the character, but because of what that can and should and hopefully will represent for the brand and the perception uh, of the Marvel brand. Same thing on the movie side. Things are a little uh, white bread right now, <laughs> but we have Captain Marvel coming. We have Black Panther coming. I'm hopeful for the future and I'm 
have nothing but hope to go on that they're learning from their current mistakes. But I also don't want them to completely like tear it down because a lot of it is working. They're, I don't think they're learning because of Danny Rand, because of Tilda's character, because of other things in Doctor Strange, especially. I don't think they're learning. I think that they're seeing success and seeing dollars and then thinking, OK, well, we can continue to give them what they quote unquote want, which is what has always been and not course correct. And I think that they're missing an opportunity and that opportunity might be gone now. Literally, mm-hmm. it might be gone for years to come because they had the opportunity with the success of their Netflix series to course correct so many things and they're choosing not to. So they're far from right. They're still very successful and they're still producing fantastic stories, but the opportunity was right there for them mm-hmm. and they blew it so yeah they're still going to deliver a fantastic show i'm positive dr strange will be a fantastic show i can't wait to see it but that doesn't change the fact that it would have been better even had they course corrected different th- hell not even course corrected had they freaking done what was in the comics instead of whitewashing characters mm-hmm. so I don't think that I, – I think that there is still a lot that they need to work on with both their TV and their movie IPs, which is a hard sell because all they have to do is come back with, yeah, but look at how much money we're making. It's literally all they have to do is take their dick out and plant it on the table <laughs> and say, look it. You see this? What do you say again about our representation? Yeah, shut up. So the success is hindering what we need to happen mm-hmm. in that industry. It, it, it's going to go hand in hand, though. As I said, we have Luke Cage coming. What we saw from the Black Panther cast at Comic-Con was fantastic. So if those properties are as successful or hopefully even more successful than anticipated, that's going to be the determining factor. And I don't want them to... To just kind of stick to their ground. I want them to see that there is a better path to take. And is that it's I'm basing this solely on basically Luke Cage and Black Panther at this point because it's all we've got. (laughs) You know, what's funny is I finished my statement and I thought, Christ, how much of that am I going to quack out now? (laughs) Probably a lot. (laughs) Listen, you made your bed. You poured your glass. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know what? We're taking five, not even five. I'm filling my glass up and I need to go pee. I'll be right back. (laughs) So, of course, the next one to talk about is Image. And I don't really have much to say for Image because... doing what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Be... Be the guiding light for the rest of the industry. <laughs> That's actually a really good way to put it. I, there, there's a few things they could do better. Certainly, there's a few ways that they could expand even because they are getting successful enough that they could do that. I think that they, they're at a point where they could really, in much the same way as I'm suggesting DC and Marvel 
kind of rethink the way they're doing. With image, it's not so much a complete and utter shift in the manner in which they do things so much as just expanding, just improving on what is already there. The one thing I would like to see, though, is a way to make it easier for up-and-coming creators to get their foot in the door. I agree. The The way Image is now, I mean, Image is a publishing company. Even though the the creators own the rights, you know, Image is still fronting the money for the publishing. A comic has to have a certain degree of success before Image will consider publishing it. So they have to be behind the idea. So you know, you know what? That Brian K. Vaughn shows up at the front door, says, I got a new comic idea. They just write him a check. But it's getting increasingly hard for lesser known creators to get that ball rolling with image. Uh, that's great while we have even smaller presses like, you know, Oni press and uh, boom studios and whatnot that are, that are filling that gap. It's, I'm still noticing a lot of the same names year after year after year on the, the majority of what image is putting out. I, they're moving in that direction. Uh, this year they announced the creators for creators grant, which is a step. So I, I, that's really my only suggestion for Image is you know, some sort of mentorship program or whatever. Like we've seen this with uh, Kirkman, a lot of his Skybound stuff. Like he'll co-write a comic with a lesser known writer to help them get that foot in the door. Yeah, granted, a lot of those haven't been terribly good, but that's beside the point. So that's really the only thing I can say for Image because more creators, more diversity is only going to help the product line. The problem is, is that they are relying too much on the name of the writers, like you're saying, mm-hmm. and that that is what is going to sell comics. And the problem is, is that we as consumers are feeding into that and buying those comics that are created by certain writers that we like, which is is good in a way because it's nice to find writers that you like. I, I can look back to the entirety of my reading lifetime in terms of novels, I'm not talking about comics, of certain writers that I've latched onto and thought, I need to read everything from this writer because they're awesome. The problem is, is that then when you're looking at Image, say, what we need to see is them advertising events, not events, the wrong term, because it ties back to our discussion mm-hmm. of Marvels, but different series, different things that are like, you want to check this out because it's incredible and here's why. Oh, and it's written by so-and-so. It doesn't matter who it's written by. It's what it is that's going to draw you in. Case in point, let's go back to Stranger Things. I have no idea who those directors are. I still don't. Exactly. And I don't <laughs> give a rat's ass because they created something incredible And I enjoyed it. And that's what we need to see more in comics, where it's the event that determines how much press is going to, or marketing they're going to spend on a series or whatever, and not, oh, this was written by so-and-so, because that's where the problem is. And in so doing, you're going to make certain that those known writers that have been relying on their name being what sells comics are suddenly going to have to work a lot harder so that they don't just essentially phone it in, that they have to work their butts off to create something as spectacular as what those new people are selling as well. Mm -hmm. All right, then. Good job, Image. Keep it up. (laughs) IDW, I think, is a publisher that 
our views of them have changed greatly over the six years. They were always a fun place to get those, you know, cool little licensed comics. But somewhere around five years ago with Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we realized the power that those licensed titles can carry. And writing, it's kind of analogous to what we were talking about with Marvel and DC. You can do some great stuff with somebody else's characters. Now, if you're coming in to write a comic based on a pre-existing franchise, you kind of know what you're getting into on that one. It's not quite the same, I would think, as writing Spider-Man, but I don't know. I might have to think about that some more. But it's absolutely no excuse to just phone it in for a paycheck. And even the ones that we we haven't talked about, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, G.I. Joe, like they're still continuing to do new and unique and very profound things with those franchises that are changing how they're viewed outside of the comics. Like the the work they've done on the Transformers comics have changed how Hasbro approaches the toy lines and animated series. Uh, what we've seen out of the Ninja Turtles comic has absolutely changed how they're treating the video games and the portrayals of those characters. It's There's so much depth and value to be found amongst comics that a large portion of the rest of the publishing industry thinks are worthless. I don't have to go any further than a series that we talked about only a few episodes ago where someone might have been Mike Johnson – thought, hey, what if Star Trek met Green Lantern? And they ran with it. Mm -hmm. And they created... Again, I don't know what you thought of it. Now, my opinion of it is highly, highly, and I'll admit it, influenced by A, my love of the War of Light uh, event. Also, my love of not just Star Trek, but the Star Trek reboot which even the bad one, I love it. <laughs> I don't care what you say about Into Darkness. I still love it. you acknowledge it's bad. This I don't. the first step. No, and I don't acknowledge that. You just said it's the bad one. No, well, it's uh, shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, what's funny is that my wife and I just watched it again a few weeks ago, and both of us still loved it. And, and anyways, my point is that Someone no, let's talk about Star Trek for a little longer. Yeah, really, I could. <laughs> I'm beginning to realize that might be a your movie. <laughs> we we've been watching Voyager, and I we never watched Voyager actually. So we've been we're on like the second third season right now, and it's like this is awesome. Anyways, the the point I was making was just someone came up with this idea, and it made sense because they're both you know, universal kind of stories in terms of dealing with adventures in space and whatnot and made it work. And again, I don't know if Mike Johnson is the one who pitched it or if they approached him for it, but holy crap, it's amazing. And it is one of the best mini series that I've read this year. Again, when I think just off the top of my head thinking, okay, what mini series this year that came out that you can say to people, definitely watch this. I am hard pressed to put anything above this. And again, that's highly influenced by my love of both IPs, but 
man, it was just so well done. And you got to give props to IDW for having the foresight to think, yeah, we can do this. Why not? Let's see where it goes. And it's case in point. My uh, my eldest daughter, I, I picked her up a um, uh, a Kindle Fire, and <laughs> I got Joe to order it for me. Joe from our, our other <laughs> podcast, and, uh, and throw it over the fence. <laughs> yeah, mother <laughs> was like, I know he's lying. He was like, Well, I tried to mail it, but they screwed up the address. I'll mail it again. So like, you screw you, buddy. I know you didn't mail it. I'm just kidding, Joe. <laughs> but. Uh, but anyway, so I, he was going to mail it, but then there was a Pokemon. I was like, oh, damn it. I missed it or whatever. I missed a K in your postal code, stupid Canadian postal codes. But it wasn't available in Canada, Canada, so I had to go through the States and I got Joe to send it for me. And I was just kidding. Joe was great about it. But my point is, is I set up this thing for my 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 daughter and I know she likes to read comics too and, and – um, here I am setting it all up and I'm putting books on it and I'm putting comics as well. The first comics that I thought to put on it was this miniseries because it involves two things that I know she loves. And I know she's a huge Star Trek fan as well. And she likes the Green Lantern. She likes this kind of thing. So I was like, you need to read this. It was spectacular. So of all the things that I could have given her, all of these stories that we've talked about for six years that I praised as being unbelievably incredible and worth reading. What did I put on there first for her? Star Trek and Green Lantern, Spectrum Wars. That says a lot for where IDW is right now. Mm -hmm. And then the one thing I can definitely point at as room for improvement, and I'm going to lump Dynamite and Boom in here as well. It's the exact same thing we we said with Image. The licensed properties for all three publishers are the ones that are getting the headlines. It's what's most notable. But all three of them also publish creator-owned works. And a lot of people don't know that because it does not get anywhere near the amount of press. So just like Image, you kind of also have to lift up the the lower-selling titles in your line, which I guess just leaves Valiant, huh? I have one thing to say about Valiant. Okay. Let me get that out and then you can go forward because you've got a lot more experience with them than I do. My opinion with Valiant, and it's actually shared with both IDW and the others, uh, smaller presses, I should say. They really need to work with content creators. And by content creators, I don't mean comic creators. I mean people like us. To Talk about their work a lot more. Mm -hmm. We are going on six years. We've passed the six-year mark, and we're going to stop now. But anyways, my point is six years. And we've talked about Valiant actually quite a bit. Had Valiant approached either of us and said, here's a subscription. Just talk about our stuff whenever the you want. We would have talked about them even more, but we have to buy comics as well. And there's only a, so much time in a day, so much money in the coffers and, and so forth that, and, and again, interest as well, which a lot of people are interested in the big two or in images as well, of course. So you're not as likely to talk about what is going on, say in, in Valley, use that as an example. But I know for a fact that me, 
had they come up to us and said, here's a subscription, read as much as you want and talk about it. It doesn't cost them a damn thing because we're, again, content creators to review and talk about. Then we would have brought it up more. Definitely would have brought them up more. Same as with Thrillbent. Like, I'm I'm good with supporting the industry, obviously, but we do that already a hell of a lot, and we talk about <laughs> a lot of comic books. And I'm not saying this now as a means of trying to to elicit those things because we're <laughs> done. My suggestion is get your people to listen to other podcasts, then approach said podcast and say, "Here, read these." just here's a subscription, download whatever the hell you want, talk about it whenever you want. We're not getting involved. We're not telling you what to say. Just boom, here it is. We need a hell of a lot more because again, we would have talked about a lot more of their comics if it would have been something that I didn't have to spend money on or whatever to pick up. Mm -hmm. That's my only suggestion for Valiant. Because, and, and I'm especially referencing Valiant here. I know they're a very small operation still. And their, but their community outreach is not anywhere near where it's supposed to be. Like, it's still on. I would say a monthly basis. I still see somebody going, "Hey, remember Valiant Comics from back in the '90s? Yeah, they're doing new stuff. They've been publishing for almost five years at this point. Their new stuff. <laughs> like, it shouldn't still be that much of a surprise to." a large section of the comic reading community. Like, well, especially when you look at the caliber of some of the work, when mm-hmm. you look at some of the caliber and you go like, Jesus, that was freaking awesome. That was great. I mean, Jesus, just look at what's her name. Is it hope? I'm trying to remember now. So you can, again, I'm not reading a ton of them. Faith, faith. Sorry. That's what I meant. Um, it's, a, it's an easy mix up. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not reading a ton of those. <laughs> Because I'm not buying them. But the, the the point is, is here's a character that is fitting a stereotype that is not as readily acceptable, especially in comics where the female form follows a very specific rule. And here's someone who's completely different. And we need to be talking a ton more about that. And when I say we, I mean we, the collective collective podcasting, video casting, reviewing community. And the manner in which you do that is by shipping that out to everyone saying, read this, read this, read this, read this. And then it's going to get out. That's how you do it. And it's not costing you a damn thing. My thoughts. I've gone to cons where Valiant has a big booth and like a, a panel on one of the larger stages and the overwhelming majority of the people who are there recognize them as, you know, the, the, the publisher from the 90s. Like they when you have a booth with a bunch of new artwork and people go, hey, is this the guy from that comic? Well, it, it, there's clearly work to be done. One more thing I'd like to see from Valiant is they have done a phenomenal job re-envisioning and revitalizing a lot of these properties from the 90s like a lot of this should not be working in the year 2016 but they found a way to make it work they go way back when i first started talking about bloodshot i was like he's wolverine and the punisher what if they were the same character this is stupid one of the best comics i'm reading right now is bloodshot reborn so they're they've done unprecedented work 
bringing old characters to modern interpretations, now it's time to really start mixing in more freshness with that. Like, I love Archer and Armstrong. Fun comic. How many times can you <laughs> can you keep publishing a new version of Archer and Armstrong? Like there there's going to be a point where they've done everything they can with the small amount of existing properties they have and it's going to be time to to really really try some new things. And they they have done that to varying success, but obviously the benchmarks of their line like Exo Man of War that's always going to be their Iron Man, you know, Bloodshot's always going to be there. But I, I, I'm I'm ready to see how much more creative they can get without the baggage of the nineties weighing them down. Well, not just the baggage of the nineties so much as there's a certain freedom that comes from a brand new IP. And they're in the same boat as what I'm describing for both DC and for Marvel, where in you don't have to follow canon. Not all of your franchises have to exist in the same canon. And I think they're falling into the same pit as with Marvel, where we have to do crossovers that involve all of our IPs. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. They don't all have to exist in the same universe. Last year, well, I'm okay with them existing in the same universe. It's a matter of, you know, the extent of the crossovers. Like last year, they did the the crossover, The Book of Death, which – literally crossed over every character in the Valiant universe into the comic. Comic itself was very good, told a great story, but the crossover elements of just like random characters that had no business being there showing up just for the purposes of being in the crossover did not work. So Yeah, but see, we we don't have to look any further than image that we just talked about. The same goddamn writer Kirkman has The Walking Dead and Invisible Invincible, two of the strongest IPs for Image that have nothing to do with each other at all. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. No, I'm saying you you can, you can do things do that the are same separate thing. from each other. Yeah. I mean, again, Valiant But, but can, having that shared universe also isn't a hindrance, I don't think. I think it is, actually. I think that it could be made to work, certainly, and you can have fun with it, but it shouldn't be a prerequisite and instead just decide right from the get-go, is this going to involve... in it, exist in the same canon? No? Okay, fine. Have fun with it. Yes? Okay, well, then there's going to be some limitations, some things that you may Mm -hmm. have to do occasionally for events, and that's that. But the the de facto, boom, it exists along with X, 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 and, and Y, no, it shouldn't be that way. And that's what I think is going to hold them back the most. Yeah. I'm very interested to see more than any other company where Valiant goes. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those things where I think about it as a writer. Now, I'm not a comic book writer. I never have been. But the idea of creating a new series is actually something that has appealed to me for a a very long time. Now, I've got different ideas that I've thought about. And let's just say I decided to go for it and, and really work on this series if I could go say to a Valiant and they said, yeah, we would love to do this. And it doesn't have to be part of our canon. It could just be something we publish that we love and we publish and we market. And there you go. Boom. I'd be far more willing to approach them with said project. And that's something that they need. They need a lot more people approaching them with projects that they don't have to try to shoehorn into their existing canon. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's uh, that's that's an option. <laughs> so, is there anything else you would like to say about the future of the comic industry before we move into the wrap up? Well, I think I've vented enough. What's what's sad is that it an episode like this, and and we're leading off with an episode that involves a lot of criticism. And it's, it's it's our lasting monument as podcasters. Yeah, and it's too bad because I I would want there to be a lot more of an uplifting thing about how great different things are, and we've said that over the years, literally about all the different things that have really made us feel alive with comics. And there's a lot. I mean, we don't have to look any further than my love of a completely irrational, ridiculous series that has me giddy whenever it comes out. A grown-ass man closing in on 50 that is excited whenever a Gwenpool comic comes out. (laughs) Okay? There's a lot to be excited about in comics. There's a ton to be excited about in comics. And not just in terms of silliness and whatnot, but also dramatic stories that move you, also adventurous stories that make you feel good about life. There's a ton of really, really amazing things. And we've spent a lot of months lately talking about different things that have been far more serious in our disappointment with different things. And yet you can't, that can't overshadow all of the moments where we've giggled with glee at Gwenpool, Injustice, and a whole bunch of other things that have shown people that, again, a story is powerful regardless of what medium it's written in, and that comics have the power to uplift as much as to make you think. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've kind of implied a lot of that tonight in our general criticisms as well as our path to the future is just take the stuff we don't like and make it more like the stuff we do like. Like how many times did we reference Ms. Marvel or Injustice? Like it's it's something that keeps coming up as a blueprint for what the industry should be doing to move forward. And it's you're absolutely right that that you definitely need to shine a brighter light on what it's doing right in addition to what it's doing wrong. Yeah. So I've actually found some new releases. <laughs> I have a what we're reading as well. Okay. Well, so typically you go what first. we're reading comes before new releases, so go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll, 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 we'll end with mine. Okay. So, yeah, I, I actually found an interesting list of just not for this week, but some interesting comic industry stuff coming up in the future. So from Marvels. From Marvels. Jeez. From Marvel. <laughs> How many glasses have you had? Not answering that question. <laughs> For Marvel, we have Secret Wars 2, Secret Invasion 2, World War Hulk 2, Infinity Gauntlet 2, and Secret Wars 2, 2. We have Avengers, all new Avengers, all different Avengers, all new, all new, all different Avengers. You you made that up. Captain America line is growing. (laughs) We currently have Steve Rogers, Captain America, as well as Sam Wilson, Captain America. We can look forward to Nick Fury, Captain America, Maria Hill, Captain America, Captain Falcon, and Captain Red Wing. We have the Mighty Thor and the Unworthy Thor, but also look forward to the Uncanny Thor and Stormbreaker, starring Beta Ray Betty. 
Iron Man, Invincible Iron Man, Invincible Slash Iron Man. Interestingly, it's a crossover with the Image series. Iron Spider, Iron Maiden, and Iron Iron Fist. Inhumans, all new, all different Inhumans. Inhumans will continue until morale improves. (laughs) And they promise Karnak number five will be out at some point eventually ever. We have Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Ganky is coming up. We have the Death of X, the Rebirth of X, the actually sorry we can't call it Rebirth of X, the reawakening question mark of X, and five different comics just titled Wolverine. We have Deadpool, Deadpool 2, The Search for More Money, Crisis on Infinite Deadpools, Gwenpool, Uncle Benpool, and Wolverine Pool. Uncle Benpool? I would pay money for that. (laughs) (laughs) Also found some DC coming up. We have DC Rebirth. There's the DC Re-Rebirth, DC Son of Rebirth, DC Rebirth Revenge, DC Screwing It, Screw It, We're Actually Just Going to Call It a Reboot, and DC We're So Sorry, Please Come Back, We Won't Do It Again. And just a lot of Batman. From Image, it's just Saga. That's all that's there. Just Saga forever. And then a lot of interesting stuff from IDW. We have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Transformers, Transformers versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Powerpuff Girls, Powerpuff oh, Girls versus G.I. Joe, go back to G.I. That. Joe versus Gem and the Holograms, which is all leading into Hologram Wars and oh. Hologram Wars one-shots of ROM, Dungeons & Dragons, Star Trek, and Judge Dredd. I would read that so hard. (laughs) Oh, God. So, Raj, what have you been reading? Well done. Well done. Well done. (laughs) Could not have gone out better. Well done. The irony is I would read the shit out of a lot of those. <laughs> I know. As I'm coming up with jokes, I'm just like, wait, no, this actually needs to happen. Oh, God, that would be fantastic. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. Okay, well done. Well done. Give me a minute. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, what we're reading. Oh, Jesus. Get tears in my eyes. That was so funny. So... In 1975, there was some slowdown in terms of the X-Men sales, and they decided to shake things up. (laughs) So they decided to publish something different. Now, for anyone who read the X-Men back in the day, they were very, very white bread, even though they were supposed to represent diversity, minority because they were mutants, but they were all white kids. And so in 75, they decided let's shake the team up. And so what they did is they introduced a brand new team with brand new characters that were across other issues that had been published, say Hulk with Wolverine and so forth. And some of them were brand new characters that had not existed yet, like Storm and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Thunderbird, who was short-lived. And so what they decided to do, because they had been running reprints of the X-Men title, is they had the giant size X-Men number one. Now, this takes place somewhere 
between X-Men number 66 and 94, because again, they were doing reprints and it introduced the new team of X-Men to the fold. And you had Colossus, Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler. Those were your main ones, of course. You also had Sunfire, who was an asshole. Banshee, who was kind of short-lived. You also had... Um, How are you going to use short-lived when Thunderbird is right there? Yeah, really. <laughs> that, that's about a short... Yeah, but they wrote him as such an asshole. It's no wonder they wrote him off. <laughs> and Polaris and whatnot. And this was in the introduction of the new team of X-Men that we all know and love so much now. At the time... This was huge because, again, the X-Men had been one of their staples, much like the Fantastic Four family. And so to shake things up and to introduce yet more mutants to try to reinvigorate some life into the X-Title was pretty groundbreaking. And so you had this massive giant size issue that gave this great story about the new team trying to rescue the old team that had been taken over by Krakoa, who we've talked about not that long ago, who's a mutant. What do you want to call it? Go ahead, finish that sentence. Lawn? (laughs) (laughs) Golf course? (laughs) I mean, he could be any number of things. And... Back then, though, much like Groot, he was evil, uh, evil plant life. And so the X-Men had to go and fight them because the existing team, uh, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, and I think that was Owen Polaris. And Polaris, Havoc. And no, Cyclops, Havoc was, yeah. no, Havoc wasn't taken over. The others were taken. Sure you, okay. No, she wasn't. I, trust I, you. I, I just, just read it. Real, I know. You've read it more recently than I have. Uh, t- today. And uh, and so anyway, so yeah, the part of the 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 old team had been essentially taken over, with the exception of Beast, who had left the group at that point. And so they had been kind of. It was hard to tell initially. Something happened. Cyclops was the only one that was that I don't want to say survived. But Trust was, me, if you ever want to know what that something happened is, don't read that comic. Yeah, see, that's the thing. The story is not that important here because it is the new team goes in to rescue. There's there's a reason they waited 40 years to fill in that gap in the timeline. (laughs) Yeah. The problem is, is that this is we've we've talked about this last week where in the comics of the time, you have to appreciate what they did in the time, not necessarily how they were written. And this is a prime example. This is see as as. And I, I think you'll agree with me. As a longtime X-Men fan, this is it. it, it this is the pinnacle of X-Men titles, including all of their sub-brands. This is it. This one issue. And yet when you reread it, you're going, God damn, this was badly. <laughs> like, you appreciate it for what it was, not how it was written or what it is. And unfortunately it is littered with issues. This was written by Lynn Ween and art by uh, David Cockrum. The, the writing is very much of the time. 
Now that I'm willing to accept in terms of the dialogue and whatnot, because it doesn't always make sense. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Xavier teaches them all English telepathically so they can communicate (laughs) at one point. The stuff with Kurt when he is saving him is somewhat ridiculous. The stuff with X-Men, when he goes to recruit him, X-Men is dealing with the Canadian military and acting all tough. And you're going like, buddy, I'm Canadian. Trust me. (laughs) That's a joke. The stuff with Aurora, the naked goddess, (laughs) like she's just (laughs) flying around naked, um, is again, it, it, I keep going back to ridiculous. You look back at a lot of those old X Men comics. Storm was naked all the time. Yeah, in those comics. And then, especially Sunfire, especially Sunfire, the way that he's written throughout because he's a jerk. He like still they, is. They write him as such an unbelievable jerk, and that is to say nothing of the Native American that mm. they turned into a fallacy who like i mean proud star is making such a big deal about being an apache and he is ashamed of his people literally those are his words and then the big confrontations between him and xavier about the white man wants me to save him and all this crap and then he is a jerk throughout the entirety of the mission like there's a lot of things as you're reading this that are point blank i will say not fun to read because each of once they get back to Krakoa because Krakoa actually took over the um the old team and is essentially feeding off of them and so when the new team goes over to try to rescue them they split apart and you go to this side of the the island we'll go to this side and whatnot and so you have these different pairings trying to work together say like Banshee and Wolverine and whatnot and for the most part it's just this bickering and pettiness nightcrawler says it best when he's he's paired up with sunfire fire which is pretty much the worst pairing you can get and he's like apparently mutant the mutant community is just as bad as the humans because you're you're a jerk i'm paraphrasing but that's essentially what it is so and then they go up against krakoa and there's these ridiculous <laughs> moments of Xavier trying to remotely telepathically fight against Krakoa while the rest of the team are doing physical attacks. And then you have Lorna Dane who is trying to use her magnetism to propel Krakoa to space. Like it's, it's stupid and ridiculous but for what it did to establish this new, not just the new team, but also to establish that there are a lot more mutants and to open those floodgates to possibility. That's why it was important. And that's why it's worth as much as it, as it is if you actually can find a copy. I, I can say without a doubt, Giant Size X-Men number one is one of the most important comics in history and probably the most important comic that wasn't the first issue of a brand. Yeah. Yeah. For again, you have to look at it in terms of what it is that it did. And when you look at 
not just how it opened up the team, but how it opened up the world within the canon to suddenly be able to find a multitude of mutants to be able to work with. It, it, it literally opened up those floodgates that now all of a sudden you could do anything you want. Absolutely anything you want, create any character, and they could easily fit within these guidelines that you've so meticulously written down and then made to work within your most popular X titles. And for 16 years, Chris Claremont did. Yeah. So, so there you go. I've redeemed myself. It's not injustice will not be my last, but we're reading. <laughs> it is giant size X-Men number one. So while I was coming up with all those stupid new issue jokes, you were reading giant size X-Men. I was. I literally we I th- both made important contributions to this episode, I feel. <laughs> I, I kind of think mine was more important, let's be honest. It was. It required a lot less effort, but it, the payoff was better. <laughs> <laughs> and that, folks, is it for us here at CBI. Uh, before we sign off, I'd like to give huge thanks to a number of people. First and foremost, all the creators – responsible for the titles we've talked about over 275 episodes good or bad you you made an important contribution to the industry and to our show and our lives Uh, especially the creators who the smaller creators that approached us to talk about their stuff again good or bad it definitely means a lot to us that you know you kind of have that faith in us to to give our unbiased opinion on things as well as the creators we've had on for interviews. I still, to this day, my favorite episode of this podcast was our Jonathan Mayberry interview. Right. Uh, that was not just, you know, a, a, a big deal for us getting, you know, a, a New York times bestselling writer on the show, but just such a cool guy. And just listening to him talk was, was a real treat. The, uh, you know, co-hosts and special guest hosts we've had here, uh, Joe, Renee, uh, Roger, your daughter, Sarah, filled in for me during a time when I needed uh, some time away from the show. Uh, definitely got us uh, through some difficult times. And it, as well, regrettably, the All Comics Considered crew. <laughs> Those bastards. Despite the fact that it defies mathematical explanation how they can be wrong about everything all the time, and yet somehow they manage it. They get by a charm, let's be honest. But, I mean, now that they don't have us as a counterpoint, I guess they're always going to think they're right, which is kind of tragic. There's always Twitter. I will <laughs> tell Marty he's wrong all the time. Lockjaw is going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, uh, they were great people to work with. Uh, I would spend any amount of time chatting with them about comics or other things. They're they're all fantastically intelligent people. What's, what's funny is that when you talked about stopping, the, the, the idea, the romanticized idea, thanks to media, that goes through the, your head is passing the torch. 
And immediately I thought, no, I'm not passing the torch. They have their own torch. They've mm-hmm. done very well. They've established themselves. They've got a great podcast that I love to listen to every week. So it's not a passing of the torch at all. It's it's a – I look forward now to getting my news from them as well. It, over the past six years, I could not tell you how many comics podcasts I've listened to. Theirs is the only one I've ever listened to a second episode from. <laughs> Just I have a hard time listening to a podcast about a topic I also discuss – because I kind of just want to reach through my headphones and start strangling people. <laughs> but as wrong as ACC can be, I enjoy listening to their reasoning for how wrong they are. We're talking about you, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the crossover we did with them was just a lot of fun. It's something I, I'm glad that uh, we were able to accomplish here. Because for several months, it, personally, it really revitalized uh, me as a podcaster and a comics fan and the show probably would have ended a lot sooner if it wasn't for them so huge thanks uh really for me personally uh, just you roger i mean we we did this for six years this was an absolute blast and more importantly it allowed me to take something i loved with comic books and look at them in a different way. I'm more critical now than I was six years ago, but it comes from a place of love. And that's something that you've really helped me find is that balance between being critical while also appreciating it for what it is. So that's something that I'm always going to carry with me, specifically with comics, but it's something that we've done elsewhere as well. Whenever I, it, it, not so much now because I, I've worked from home for years, but before that, when I worked at the office, I always found a way to start discussing literature with people because you, as you are working in, invariably, you start talking to people about, well, what are you interested in? Do you start talking about movies? Do you start talking about TV? Do you start talking about books, etc.? And I can look back over the many years, the many jobs, a different place, and different people that I've been around where I've talked about not just literature, but also the art of writing. And it's something that has been very important to me. Because much like yourself, again, I write a lot as well. And I'm fairly thick-skinned. And I like people offering me constructive criticism. So whenever I've written anything, and that's it's important because when you look back at all of these, these 275 episodes, in so much as I have been critical and offered constructive criticism of different issues or series or writers or whatever, I am fully prepared to accept the very same treatment of my own work. And it's not just that I've offered people glimpses of what I do, but point blank gone out of my way to provide them with drafts of what I'm working on, as we've discussed, writing and say, here, check this out. Tell me what you think. And then from a place of respect, 
looking at what their suggestions are and thinking, is that something I can work with or is that something based very much on who they are as a person that I may not agree on and then going from there. So for six years, I've offered constructive criticism based on those same criteria that have meant so much to me. And that's why whenever I've said that something I think is bad or something that I think could be worked on, I know that if it was directed at me, I would take it very much in stride and say, okay, well, can I work with this? Is this something that is reasonable? Is this something that I respect the person's opinion that I can work on? And it has been phenomenal to know that again, over six years, you have felt the same and that we could bounce things off of each other much like we do both with movies and with games with our other podcasts in order to not just have fun with a discussion, but possibly offer change. And and that's makes it sound like we're full of ourselves. And that's not what I'm trying to say, but I know that me as a creator, that if I hear other people offering things that are intelligently constructed in such a way as to offer constructive criticism that I'm going to listen and say, you know what, they might be right. Let's try something different. And we may not have had that impact, but we may have. And that is one of the things that I'm going to take away from six years of talking comics with you. And it has meant that much to me. Well said. So going forward, I mean, we're not going away. <laughs> Roger, you're still going to continue reading comics, I'm sure, as as am I. Just I'm sure for both of us, a drastically reduced workload in that in that department. So uh, if you'd like to hear more from us individually, uh, you can find myself on Twitter at Samodian and Roger is Zen, Jesus, Zen Buddhist. And this isn't the only show we do. Uh, we're going to continue having interesting discussions about other topics. Uh, I, for me, kind of the best thing about ending this podcast is now we can put more time and effort into Popcorn Ronin which is our movie and TV podcast. That's That's been the saving grace of us. <laughs> is I'm thinking, okay, now we can start doing a lot more of these and because I'm already planning ahead. <laughs> so that's, again, been the one good thing about this is that for people who enjoy podcasts devoted to TV or movies or anime, you're going to get more of that because we're going to be doing more episodes. And if you like what we do here, it's literally more of the same thing, just yeah. different subject matter. <laughs> Although Roger's more in charge of that show. So so it's better. Make a make it fact is that you will. Awesome. Come on. <laughs> and of course, the one show we've been doing longer than this one uh, with our good friend Joe uh, over at For the Lore, which is our gaming podcast. It does not have quite as high of an episode count. But it's been going for even longer than the six years we've been here, and it's going to keep going until one of us dies, it's, I think. <laughs> when I talk to people about the podcasts that I do, invariably you get the cocked eyebrow when you're saying a, a comic podcast or a gaming podcast if you're talking to someone who is not as into those things. And 
in each case, I always say the same thing. It's not the medium. It is the story that is being told. And while we're not going to be talking about the stories in comics as much, we are going to be talking about the stories that are being told in movies and TV and anime. And more importantly, again, in games on the For the Lore podcast. And those are important. Those are stories being told that are moving us. There you go. And finally, a uh, big thanks to everybody who has joined us on this journey, whether you listen to all 275, God help you, or if you've only listened to one or two, uh, it's there's a certain satisfaction in knowing that your voice is reaching someone. And if they come back, that means that you're saying something important or at least worth hearing, which for me means a lot. So uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners over the six years. Uh, we did this a lot for ourselves, but we did a lot of it for you too. So thank you very much for joining us on this journey. I got nothing else. I <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> I listen. You think I had some grand ending plan? Oh. I, I I blew my load on the new releases. <laughs> I can't even quack that. <laughs> Luckily, kids won't understand if their parents are listening. Oh God! I honestly, I would like to go out on a grandiose statement, but we've said it all. I mean, that's it. It's we're done. All right. <laughs> Let's see. Two hours in and I'm thinking, I don't want to let this go. <laughs> I hate you. I wonder if Marty will give me a job. <laughs> This is all on you. <laughs> trying to put Steve out of work. That's not right. I'll just start trying to discredit everything Nick says <laughs> online. <laughs> what you should do is download their podcasts and post your re-edited version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I had time, I would. <laughs> all right, buddy. We're done. All right, man. Jesus. Well, no sense of getting sappy. Again, it's we're still working together. It's not the end of the world, but it has been a very important part of my weekly basis for six years. I just want you to know that. I understand, and I appreciate. Yeah, so. And like I said, I, it's meant a lot to me, too. <laughs> Again, Nothing lasts forever. It's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal, but... Yeah, I'm still going to hate you just as much on For the War. Oh, I hate you right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will talk to you later. Take it easy, man.